Chapter Four of Riders of the Purple Sage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Laurie Ann Walden. Riders of the Purple Sage by Zane Gray. Chapter Four: Deception Pass. The rider thundered up and almost threw his foam-flecked horse in the sudden stop. He was a giant form, and with fearless eyes. "'Judkins, you're all bloody!' cried Jane, in affright. "'Oh, you've been shot!' "'Nothing much, Miss Witherstein. I got a nick in the shoulder. I'm some wet, and the hoss has been throwing lather, so all this ain't blood.' "'What's up?' queried Venters, sharply. "'Rustlers sloped off with the red herd.' "'Where are my riders?' demanded Jane. "'Miss Witherstein, I was alone all night with the herd. "'At daylight this morning the rustlers rode down. "'They began to shoot at me on sight. "'They chased me hard and far, burning powder all the time, but I got away.' "'Judd, they meant to kill you,' declared Venters. "'Now I wonder,' returned Judkins. "'They wanted me bad, and it ain't regular for rustlers to waste time chasing one rider.' "'Thank heaven you got away,' said Jane.' "'But my riders, where are they?' "'I don't know. "'The night riders weren't there last night when I rode down, "'and this morning I met no day riders.' "'Judkins! "'Fern, they've been set upon, killed by Oldring's men.' "'I don't think so,' replied Venters decidedly. "'Jane, your riders haven't gone out in the sage.' "'Fern, what do you mean?' "'Jane Witherstein turned deathly pale.' "'You remember what I said about the unseen hand?' "'Oh, impossible.' "'I hope so, but I fear,' Venters finished with a shake of his head. "'Burn, you're bitter, but that's only natural. "'We'll wait to see what's happened to my riders. "'Judkins, come to the house with me. "'Your wound must be attended to.' "'Jane, I'll find out where Oldring drives the herd,' vowed Venters. "'No, no.' "'Burn, don't risk it now, when the rustlers are in such shooting mood.' "'I'm going. Judd, how many cattle in that red herd?' Twenty-five hundred head.' "'Phew! What on earth can Old Ring do with so many cattle? "'Why, a hundred head is a big steal. I've got to find out.' "'Don't go,' implored Jane. "'Burn, you want a hoss that can run.' "'Miss Witherstein, if it's not too bold of me to advise, "'make him take a fast horse, or don't let him go.' "'Yes, yes, Judkins, he must ride a horse that can't be caught. "'Which one? Black Star? Knight?' "'Jane, I won't take either,' said Venters emphatically. "'I wouldn't risk losing one of your favorites. "'Wrangle, then?' "'That's the horse,' replied Judkins. "'Wrangle can outrun Black Star and Knight.' "'You'd never believe it, Miss Witherstein, but I know. "'Wrangle's the biggest and fastest horse on the sage.' "'Oh, no, Wrangle can't beat Blackstar. "'But, Burn, take Wrangle if you will go. "'Ask Jurd for anything you need. "'Oh, be watchful, careful. God speed you.' "'She clasped his hand, turned quickly away, "'and went down a lane with the rider. "'Venters rode to the barn and, leaping off, shouted for Jurd. "'The boy came running.' Venters sent him for meat, bread, and dried fruits to be packed in saddlebags. His own horse he turned loose into the nearest corral. Then he went for Wrangle. 
the giant sorrel had earned his name for a trait the opposite of amiability. He came readily out of the barn, but once in the yard he broke from Venters, and plunged about with ears laid back. Venters had to rope him, and then he kicked down a section of fence, stood on his hind legs, crashed down, and fought the rope. Jurd returned to lend a hand. "'Wrangle don't get enough work,' said Jurd, as the big saddle went on. "'He's unruly when he's corralled, and wants to run. "'Wait till he smells the sage.' "'Jurd, this horse is an iron-jawed devil. "'I never straddled him but once. "'Run? Say, he's swift as wind.' "'When Venter's boot touched the stirrup, "'the sorrel bolted, giving him the rider's flying mount. "'The swing of this fiery horse recalled to Venter's "'days that were not really long past, "'when he rode into the sage as the leader of Jane Witherstein's riders. "'Wrangle pulled hard on a tight rein. "'He galloped out of the lane, down the shady border of the grove, "'and hauled up at the watering trough, where he pranced and champed his bit. Venters got off and filled his canteen while the horse drank. The dogs, Ring and Whitey, came trotting up for their drink. Then Venters remounted and turned Wrangle toward the sage. A wide white trail wound away down the slope. One keen, sweeping glance told Venters that there was neither man nor horse nor steer within the limit of his vision, unless they were lying down in the sage. Ring loped in the lead, and Whitey loped in the rear. Wrangle settled gradually into an easy, swinging canter, and Venter's thoughts, now that the rush and flurry of the start were past, and the long miles stretched before him, reverted to a calm reckoning of late singular coincidences. There was the night ride of Tull's, which, viewed in the light of subsequent events, had a look of his covert machinations. Oldring and his masked rider, and his rustlers riding muffled horses— the report that Tull had ridden out that morning with his man Jerry on the trail to Glaze, the strange disappearance of Jane Witherstein's riders, the unusually determined attempt to kill the one Gentile still in her employ, an intention frustrated, no doubt, only by Judkins' magnificent riding of her racer, and lastly the driving of the red herd. These events, to Venter's color of mind, had a dark relationship. Remembering Jane's accusation of bitterness, he tried hard to put aside his rancor in judging Tall. But it was bitter knowledge that made him see the truth. He had felt the shadow of an unseen hand. He had watched till he saw its dim outline, and then he had traced it to a man's hate, to the rivalry of a Mormon elder, to the power of a bishop, to the long, far-reaching arm of a terrible creed. That unseen hand had made its first move against Jane Witherstein. Her riders had been called in, leaving her without help to drive seven thousand head of cattle. But to Venters it seemed extraordinary that the power which had called in these riders had left so many cattle to be driven by rustlers and harried by wolves. For hand in glove with that power was an insatiate greed. They were one and the same. "'What can Oldring do with twenty-five hundred head of cattle?' muttered Venters. "'Is he a Mormon? Did he meet Tull last night?' It looks like a black plot to me. But Tull and his churchmen wouldn't ruin Jane Witherstein unless the church was to profit by that ruin. Where does Oldring come in? I'm going to find out about these things. Wrangle did the twenty-five miles in three hours, and walked little of the way. When he had gotten warmed up, he had been allowed to choose his own gait. The afternoon had well advanced when Venters struck the trail of the red herd and found where it had grazed the night before. Then Venters rested the horse and used his eyes. 
Near at hand were a cow and a calf and several yearlings, and farther out in the sage some straggling steers. He caught a glimpse of coyotes skulking near the cattle. The slow, sweeping gaze of the rider failed to find other living things within the field of sight. The sage about him was breast-high to his horse, oversweet with its warm, fragrant breath, gray where it waved to the light, darker where the wind left it still, and beyond the wonderful haze-purple lent by distance. Far across that wide waste began the slow lift of uplands through which Deception Pass cut its tortuous, many-canyoned way. Venters raised the bridle of his horse and followed the broad cattle trail. The crushed sage resembled the path of a monster snake. In a few miles of travel he passed several cows and calves that had escaped the drive. Then he stood on the last high bench of the slope with the floor of the valley beneath. The opening of the canyon showed in a break of the sage, and the cattle trail paralleled it as far as he could see. That trail led to an undiscovered point where Oldring drove cattle into the pass, and many a rider who had followed it had never returned. Venter satisfied himself that the rustlers had not deviated from their usual course, and then he turned at right angles off the cattle trail and made for the head of the pass. The sun lost its heat and wore down to the western horizon, where it changed from white to gold and rested like a huge ball about to roll on its golden shadows down the slope. Venters watched the lengthening of the rays and bars and marveled at his own league-long shadow. The sun sank. There was an instant shading of brightness about him, and he saw a kind of cold purple bloom creep ahead of him to cross the canyon, to mount the opposite slope, and chase and darken and bury the last golden flare of sunlight. Venters rode into a trail that he always took to get down into the canyon. He dismounted and found no tracks but his own made days previous. Nevertheless, he sent the dog Ring ahead and waited. In a little while, Ring returned whereupon Venters led his horse onto the break in the ground. The opening into Deception Pass was one of the remarkable natural phenomena in a country remarkable for vast slopes of sage, uplands insulated by gigantic red walls and deep canyons of mysterious source and outlet. Here the valley floor was level, and here opened a narrow chasm, a ragged vent in yellow walls of stone. The trail down the five hundred feet of sheer depth always tested Venter's nerve. It was bad going for even a burrow. But Wrangle, as Venter's led him, snorted defiance or disgust, rather than fear, and, like a hobbled horse on the jump, lifted his ponderous iron-shod forehoofs and crashed down over the first rough step. Venter's warmed to greater admiration of the sorrel, and giving him a loose bridle, he stepped down foot by foot. Oftentimes the stones and shale started by Wrangle buried Venters to his knees. Again he was hard put to it to dodge a rolling boulder. There were times when he could not see Wrangle for dust, and once he and the horse rode a sliding shelf of yellow, weathered cliff. It was a trail on which there could be no stops, and therefore, if perilous, it was at least one that did not take long in the descent. Venters breathed lighter when that was over, and felt a sudden assurance in the success of his enterprise, for at first it had been a reckless determination to achieve something at any cost, and now it resolved itself into an adventure worthy of all his reason and cunning, and keenness of eye and ear. Pinion pines clustered in little clumps along the level floor of the pass. Twilight had gathered under the walls. Venters rode into the trail and up the canyon. 
Gradually the trees and caves and objects low down turned black, and this blackness moved up the walls till night enfolded the pass, while day still lingered above. The sky darkened, and stars began to show, at first pale and then bright. Sharp notches of the rim wall, biting like teeth into the blue, were landmarks by which Venters knew where his camping site lay. He had to feel his way through a thicket of slender oaks to a spring where he watered Wrangle and drank himself. Here he unsaddled and turned Wrangle loose, having no fear that the horse would leave the thick, cool grass adjacent to the spring. Next he satisfied his own hunger, fed Ring and Whitey, and, with them curled beside him, composed himself to await sleep. There had been a time when night in the high altitude of these Utah uplands had been satisfying to Venters, but that was before the oppression of enemies had made the change in his mind. As a rider guarding the herd, he had never thought of the night's wildness and loneliness. As an outcast, now when the full silence set in, and the deep darkness, and trains of radiant stars shone cold and calm, he lay with an ache in his heart. For a year he had lived as a black fox, driven from his kind. He longed for the sound of a voice, the touch of a hand. In the daytime there was riding from place to place, and the gun practice, to which something drove him, and other tasks that at least necessitated action. At night, before he won sleep, there was strife in his soul. He yearned to leave the endless sage slopes, the wilderness of canyons, and it was in the lonely night that this yearning grew unbearable. It was then that he reached forth to feel Ring or Whitey, immeasurably grateful for the love and companionship of two dogs. On this night the same old loneliness beset Venters, the old habit of sad thought and burning unquiet had its way but from it evolved a conviction that his useless life had undergone a subtle change. He had sensed it first when Wrangle swung him up to the high saddle. He knew it now when he lay in the gateway of Deception Pass. He had no thrill of adventure, rather a gloomy perception of great hazard, perhaps death. He meant to find Oldring's retreat. The rustlers had fast horses, but none that could catch Wrangle. Venters knew no rustler could creep upon him at night when Ring and Whitey guarded his hiding-place. For the rest, he had eyes and ears, and a long rifle and an unerring aim, which he meant to use. Strangely, his foreshadowing of change did not hold a thought of the killing of Tull. It related only to what was to happen to him in Deception Pass, and he could no more lift the veil of that mystery than tell where the trails led to in that unexplored canyon. Moreover, he did not care and at length, tired out by stress of thought, he fell asleep. When his eyes unclosed, day had come again, and he saw the rim of the opposite wall tipped with the gold of sunrise. A few moments sufficed for the morning's simple camp duties. Near at hand he found Wrangle, and to his surprise the horse came to him. Wrangle was one of the horses that left his viciousness in the home corral, what he wanted was to be free of mules and burrows and steers, to roll in dust patches, and then to run down the wide, open, windy sage plains, and at night browse and sleep in the cool, wet grass of a spring hole. Jurd knew the sorrel when he said of him, Wait till he smells the sage. Venter saddled and led him out of the oak thicket, and, leaping astride, rode up the canyon with Ring and Whitey trotting behind. An old grass-grown trail followed the course of a shallow wash where flowed a thin stream of water. The canyon was a hundred rods wide, its yellow walls were perpendicular, it had abundant sage and a scant growth of oak and pinion. For five miles it held to a comparatively straight bearing, 
and then began a heightening of rugged walls and a deepening of the floor. Beyond this point of sudden change in the character of the canyon, Venters had never explored, and here was the real door to the intricacies of Deception Pass. He reined Wrangle to a walk, halted now and then to listen, and then proceeded cautiously with shifting and alert gaze. The canyon assumed proportions that dwarfed those of its first ten miles. Venters rode on and on, not losing in the interest of his wide surroundings any of his caution or keen search for tracks or sight of living thing. If there ever had been a trail here, he could not find it. He rode through sage and clumps of pinion trees, and grassy plots where long-petaled purple lilies bloomed. He rode through a dark constriction of the pass no wider than the lane in the grove at Cottonwoods and he came out into a great amphitheatre into which jutted huge towering corners of a confluence of intersecting canyons. Venter sat his horse, and with a rider's eye studied this wild cross-cut of huge stone gullies. Then he went on, guided by the course of running water. If it had not been for the main stream of water flowing north, he would never have been able to tell which of these many openings was a continuation of the pass. In crossing this amphitheater, he went by the mouths of five canyons, fording little streams that flowed into the larger one. Gaining the outlet which he took to be the pass, he rode on again under overhanging walls. One side was dark in shade, the other light in sun. This narrow passageway turned and twisted and opened into a valley that amazed Venters. Here again was a sweep of purple sage, richer than upon the higher levels. The valley was miles long, several wide, and enclosed by unscalable walls. But it was the background of this valley that so forcibly struck him. Across the sage-flat rose a strange upflinging of yellow rocks. He could not tell which were close and which were distant. Scrawled mounds of stone, like mountain waves, seemed to roll up to steep bare slopes and towers. In this plain of sage, Venters flushed birds and rabbits, and when he had proceeded about a mile, he caught sight of the bobbing white tails of a herd of running antelope. He rode along the edge of the stream, which wound toward the western end of the slowly looming mounds of stone. The high slope retreated out of sight, behind the nearer projection. To Venters, the valley appeared to have been filled in by a mountain of melted stone that had hardened in strange shapes of rounded outline. He followed the stream till he lost it in a deep cut. Therefore, Venters quit the dark slit which baffled further search in that direction, and rode out along the curved edge of stone where it met the sage. It was not long before he came to a low place, and here Wrangle readily climbed up. All about him was ridgy roll of wind-smoothed, rain-washed rock. Not a tuft of grass or a bunch of sage colored the dull rust-yellow. He saw where, to the right, this uneven flow of stone ended in a blunt wall. Leftward from the hollow that lay at his feet, mounted a gradual, slow-swelling slope to a great height topped by leaning, cracked, and ruined crags. Not for some time did he grasp the wonder of that acclivity. It was no less than a mountainside, glistening in the sun like polished granite, with cedar trees springing as if by magic out of the denuded surface. Winds had swept it clear of weathered shale, and rains had washed it free of dust. Far up the curved slope its beautiful lines broke to meet the vertical rim-wall, to lose its grace in a different order and color of rock, a stained yellow cliff of cracks and cave and seamed crags. And straight before Venters was a scene less striking but more significant to his keen survey. 
for beyond a mile of the bare hummocky rock began the valley of sage and the mouths of canyons, one of which surely was another gateway into the pass. He got off his horse, and, giving the bridle to ring to hold, he commenced a search for the cleft where the stream ran. He was not successful, and concluded the water dropped into an underground passage. Then he returned to where he had left Wrangle, and led him down off the stone to the sage. It was a short ride to the opening canyons. There was no reason for a choice of which one to enter. The one he rode into was a clear, sharp shaft in yellow stone a thousand feet deep, with wonderful wind-worn caves low down and high above buttressed and turreted ramparts. Farther on, venters came into a region where deep indentations marked the line of canyon walls. These were huge, cove-like blind pockets, extending back to a sharp corner with a dense growth of underbrush and trees. Venters penetrated into one of these offshoots, and, as he had hoped, he found abundant grass. He had to bend the oak saplings to get his horse through. Deciding to make this a hiding place, if he could find water, he worked back to the limit of the shelving walls. In a little cluster of silver spruces he found a spring. This enclosed nook seemed an ideal place to leave his horse and to camp at night, and from which to make stealthy trips on foot. The thick grass hid his trail. The dense growth of oaks in the opening would serve as a barrier to keep Wrangle in, if, indeed, the luxuriant brows would not suffice for that. So Venters, leaving Whitey with the horse, called Ring to his side, and rifle in hand worked his way out to the open. A careful photographing in mind of the formation of the bold outlines of Rimrock assured him he would be able to return to his retreat even in the dark. Bunches of scattered sage covered the center of the canyon, and among these Venters threaded his way with the step of an Indian. At intervals he put his hand on the dog and stopped to listen. There was a drowsy hum of insects, but no other sound disturbed the warm midday stillness. Venters saw ahead a turn, more abrupt than any yet. Warily he rounded this corner, once again to halt, bewildered. The canyon opened fan-shaped into a great oval of green and gray growths. It was the hub of an oblong wheel, and from it, at regular distances, like spokes, ran the outgoing canyons. Here a dull red color predominated over the fading yellow. The corners of wall bluntly rose, scarred and scrawled, to taper into towers and serrated peaks and pinnacled domes. Venters pushed on more heedfully than ever. Toward the center of this circle the sagebrush grew smaller and farther apart. He was about to sheer off to the right, where thickets and jumbles of fallen rock would afford him cover, when he ran right upon a broad cattle trail. Like a road it was, more than a trail, and the cattle tracks were fresh. What surprised him more, they were wet. He pondered over this feature. It had not rained. The only solution to this puzzle was that the cattle had been driven through water, and water deep enough to wet their legs. Suddenly Ring growled low. Venters rose cautiously and looked over the sage. A band of straggling horsemen were riding across the oval. He sank down, startled and trembling. "'Rustlers,' he muttered. Hurriedly he glanced about for a place to hide. Near at hand there was nothing but sagebrush. He dared not risk crossing the open patches to reach the rocks. Again he peeped over the sage. The rustlers—four, five, seven, eight in all—were approaching, but not directly in line with him. That was relief for a cold deadness which seemed to be creeping inward along his veins. 
He crouched down with bated breath and held the bristling dog. He heard the click of iron-shod hoofs on stone, the coarse laughter of men, and then voices gradually dying away. Long moments passed. Then he rose. The rustlers were riding into a canyon. Their horses were tired, and they had several pack animals. Evidently they had traveled far. Venters doubted that they were the rustlers who had driven the red herd. Old Ring's band had split. Venters watched these horsemen disappear under a bold canyon wall. The rustlers had come from the northwest side of the oval. Venters kept a steady gaze in that direction, hoping, if there were more, to see from what canyon they rode. A quarter of an hour went by. Reward for his vigilance came when he described three more mounted men, far over to the north. But out of what canyon they had ridden it was too late to tell. He watched the three ride across the oval and round the jutting red corner where the others had gone. "'Up that canyon!' exclaimed Venters. "'Oldring's den! I've found it!' A knotty point for Venters was the fact that the cattle tracks all pointed west. The broad trail came from the direction of the canyon into which the rustlers had ridden, and undoubtedly the cattle had been driven out of it across the oval. There were no tracks pointing the other way. It had been in his mind that Aldring had driven the red herd toward the rendezvous, and not from it. Where did that broad trail come down into the pass, and where did it lead? Venters knew he wasted time in pondering the question, but it held a fascination not easily dispelled. For many years Aldring's mysterious entrance and exit to Deception Pass had been all-absorbing topics to sage-riders. All at once the dog put an end to Venters' pondering. Ring sniffed the air, turned slowly in his tracks with a whine, and then growled. Venters wheeled. Two horsemen were within a hundred yards, coming straight at him. One, lagging behind the other, was Oldring's masked rider. Venters cunningly sank, slowly trying to merge into sagebrush. But guarded as his action was, the first horse detected it. He stopped short, snorted, and shot up his ears. The rustler bent forward, as if keenly peering ahead. Then, with a swift sweep, he jerked a gun from its sheath and fired. The bullet zipped through the sagebrush. Flying bits of wood struck Venters, and the hot, stinging pain seemed to lift him in one leap. Like a flash, the blue barrel of his rifle gleamed level, and he shot once, twice. The foremost rustler dropped his weapon and toppled from his saddle, to fall with his foot catching in a stirrup. The horse snorted wildly and plunged away, dragging the rustler through the sage. The masked rider huddled over his pommel, slowly swaying to one side, and then, with a faint, strange cry, slipped out of the saddle. End of chapter 4